This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. And it is the end of Spooktober. The passage of time. And we are recording a bonus episode. A bonus episode. With our Patreon support. That word's... Spooky in its own right. Now, Patreon, Patreon. <laughs> supporters who are in the chat as we record. And they can see that I am the ghost of the Phillies' playoff chances. <laughs> as we record, the Phillies were recently eliminated from baseball's postseason, and I passed away and became was, a ghost. Yeah, it was gruesome, uh, gruesome murder happened on the field. <laughs> So they sad. were choked and, and by themselves. Yeah, and they, they did. did not proceed to the World Series. Nope. I Andrew, was like sad, like for Craig, but my it, I guess I'm lucky in that. Like for myself, I don't care. I don't care that much. I, I enjoy I enjoy being part of something. That's yes. why when I, when a Philly sports team is doing well, I like going around, like going to the grocery store, and like hearing the people say sports things on the intercom. Yeah. And everyone's wearing the same clothes and it's fun, but like, you know, I don't have a lot of myself wrapped up in whether the Phillies go to the World Series or not. Fair enough. We will talk about the book that Andrew read for this episode in a second, but first, Andrew, what is your costume that the people at home are missing? I'm Andrew, but on vacation. You look like a man who's on vacation. I have a hat that has little trees on it. I've got this hat. On one of the Lake Erie Islands, I want to say it was Kelly's Island, like five years ago after one oh, of our yeah, college on that, reunions. Yes, on that yeah. reunion trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe it is made out of, at least partly out of, recycled paper products. So if I wore it in the rain, I think it would melt. Oh, but yeah. It's, it's so spooky. A, it's quite a hat. Yeah. Um, but it's like ecologically friendly, so that's not... You know, that's not spooky. That is not spooky. Environmentalism is not spooky at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so welcome to our book podcast, where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. This, again, is a bonus episode, thanks to our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join us for these streams, we don't always wear costumes, but we do usually try to make it enjoyable to be here live. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to Patreon. Live and alive, unlike the <laughs> Phillies playoff chances. Gosh, dang as it. They just choked so hard. Another mm-hmm. man named Craig did such a bad job. It's he very did, tough yeah. Yeah. to mm-hmm. live in those situations. That's yeah. why I'm a ghost now. Um, mm-hmm. But patreon.com is how you can join us for future bonus streams. Andrew, what book did you read? For this here bonus episode, I read A Night in the Lonesome October by Roger Zelazny. Mm. That's three scary things in one book title, by the way. To be lonely, scary, October's the scariest month, at and night? at night. Yeah, that's, that's of, the two, of the two options, that's the scariest one. Yes. No, thank you. I would not like to be alone in October. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm here with you. And our listeners, mm-hmm. but I have never read a book by Roger L- Zelazny before. You have not either. I don't believe so. Sure, he I know is... that this was like the last book that he wrote. Yes, at least by himself. In Correct his, in his life. Yes, and, but it's also one of his favorite books that he wrote. And so also, it's cool true. to like go out still happy <laughs> I, with your I work. Crushed you know, it. yeah, right. <laughs> um, he was taken from us a little soon. He was born in 1937. Died in 1995 in his late 50s. Um, he's like a... F- so he was a a part of the 1960s like new wave of sci-fi. There's some British authors included in that. He's part of the American group. 
Give me some um, other authors who are in that wave so I know which wave you're I talking about. I think Jackson is included in that. It's like post-Asimov. Um, Harlan Ellison, I think, gets lumped in there. Uh, the way that his obits describe it is a generation of sci-fi and fantasy authors that are interested in the like psychological or like inner lives of the characters experiencing these phenomena. So like mm-hmm. thinking back to our doctor our first Dr. Moreau episode this month that was really just like what if a guy did manimals? Like it uh-huh. wasn't really introspective. And that there was a character there I mean, he was only there because we needed somebody's perspective to see the story from. Exactly. And we were yes. really super, I mean, like a little bit at the end, you get into his like mental state and the like, and he does go to therapy, but it's not, I don't know. It's not a focal point of what yeah. the book is. I don't yeah. think. So that that is my very rudimentary understanding of this, uh, like label that has been applied to this era of writers. Um, mm-hmm. He wrote over 150 short stories, 50 books, um, multiple time Nebula winner, multiple time Hugo winner. It says in my notes here that he was he may or may not have gotten a black belt in Aikido. Loved martial arts. <laughs> I guess we don't normally cover the sort of like ad hoc accreditations <laughs> that you could get at like a mall karate. Listen, you gotta put studio. in the work. Karate to be a black studio? belt, a do- dojo, a do- <laughs> usually. This is my karate studio. <laughs> this is my karate studio apartment. I can chop mm-hmm. the celery from my bed. Mm-hmm. Chop, chop. <laughs> That's a stupid joke. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, he uh, was from Ohio, I believe. Euclid, Ohio, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he, of Euclid. I think sure. I've driven past signs for it. He attended Western Reserve University, later Columbia, graduated in 1962, also the year his first story was published. Uh, among some of his other jobs, he worked for the Social Security Administration. Somebody's got to work there. That's I think that's why I wrote that one down. Because like people got to <laughs> have their somebody's got to do it. <laughs> somebody's got to do it. Thanks for doing it, bud. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spent his evenings writing fiction. He would wind up quitting his job in 1969, nice to become a full time novelist. Many of his uh, books take place in like different mythologies um like different like around the world like in chinese mythology or egyptian like mythology like pantheons of of yes. stuff yeah okay i've um, got a got a real neil gaiman over here huh? well so i i don't know if you remember in the last this wouldn't have been on the main feed yet when we read the wake the last episode i think it's in we're just the, talking it we're talking mostly to donors here so i bet we got some stand yeah, by me yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, St- some stand stand by me <laughs> Stands, yeah, stands by me in in the chat. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaiman name checked Zelazny in and his passing in the like notes for the wake because he had, mm-hmm. he had just passed away. Sure. Um, and a lot of the stuff I've been thinking about while researching this episode is like, oh, this is a this is a guy that the guy who write who wrote the Sandman liked. Like, there's just mm-hmm. a lot of what if we write sci-fi and fantasy that incorporates different mythologies what if we take the idea that uh hb lovecraft had and have a whole realm of the dreaming like you know dreamland stuff like just and also just what if we took really extensive advantage of the public domain (laughs) yeah what if we what if we made works that had fun referencing other works and that is not unique to gaming of course but just the spirit of the thing and what you can do with it in sci-fi fantasy. Um, there's a really sweet um, in memoriam from George R.R. R. Martin, who somehow found time to write this around not writing other books, when <laughs> Zelazny passed away, uh, talking about, among other things, that like they both lived in Santa Fe. Zelazny would live there for like the last 20 or 30 years of his life, and he was really generous to Martin, and you know Martin didn't really know anybody else there, and... Um, just seemed like a good a good guy, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of neat. He's most maybe perhaps best known for the Amber series, the Chronicles of Amber series, a series of fantasy novels where there are multiple worlds and there are shadow worlds between them. Um, just in passing, kind of reminded me a little bit of that V.E. Schwab series that I read, Darker Shade of Magic, where there's like multiple Londons, just kind of parallel universe stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was his last book 
published in his lifetime anyway in 1993 I think is what I saw um, he would uh, another book of his the dead man's brother which was completed in 1971 would be published posthumously in 2009 mm-hmm. it was nominated uh, for a nebula in 94 it has illustrations by Gahan Wilson who is a cartoonist and and comics artist uh, who had stuff in Playboy magazine for many, many years, The New Yorker. He was a contributor to National Lampoon magazine. He also designed the now-retired bust of H.P. Lovecraft that used to be the like the moon man for the World Fantasy Awards. Because <laughs> they, they got... really retired it because he was like super racist, Cause, right? Because he was H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> yeah, because he was H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft, and he was like wicked. Which kind of racist was he? Was he just anti-Semitic, or was he one of the other kinds? It was just like, kind of an all-encompassing, like a gentleman's like, racism, yeah, where you kind of a, sample like, a little from all of them. What if we just don't mix anybody yeah. racist? Mm-hmm. Sure, cool, sure. I, I'm sure there are more specifics in the Lovecraft stuff. We mm-hmm. yeah, it's been a while since we've we talked. We've talked about him, yeah. but b- partly because of all of his racism, we have not <laughs> I, I talked we, about him in a while. We did him the one time, and then we were out. Yeah, I think we would have covered him more if not for all that bad stuff. Um, mm. There was an interview that Zelazny gave with Absolute Magnitude uh, in 1994. Did he give the interview with? absolute magnitude like it's just kind of an attitude or was the publication called absolute magnitude that's the name of the publication Mm -hmm. um i learned this from uh the zelazny website which has a really sad like counter of how long it's been since he passed you know like an old website can have just like day counters Yeah. yeah 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 i don't know who's running that website anyway i mean that's um, spooky that's like spooky though right that's you know, I, I it is a little spooky. You're right. Yeah, I, Maybe I'm that's into why. it. Okay, I came around. It's <laughs> a little sad, but it's a little spooky. Um, he said he had the idea for this book in 1979. Basically, what if I wrote about Jack the Ripper's dog? Quote: No matter who owns a dog, if that person is nice to the animal, the dog is going to love him. So he kind of set himself this task of like, what if I picked a reprehensible person and humanized them by writing about their beloved animal Hmm. um yeah it kind of works he wanted gahan wilson to illustrate it but wilson wrote him back and said i'm sorry i'm busy and on Uh the letter he drew like a sketch of what the dog could be Uh uh-huh and for years salazny would just like pull it out of his drawer and be like huh what if Mm." (laughs) and many years later he realized they had the same agent so he just decided what if i just write the book or my ideas for it, and then I'll share it with Wilson and then maybe see if he's available, and that worked mm-hmm. out. Uh, and he latched onto this idea of uh, like a Halloween or some sort of it only happens once a year or once a so-so often to give it kind of a special like juice to yeah, what yeah, the yeah. story's about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think his idea being that like what if jack the ripper wasn't just a pure psychopath but what if he was some sort of like ritual killer that would you know ground him somehow i don't know yeah we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit for sure hold on, i'm pulling up what i th- oh please let me make sure that i'm pulling up oh, the sorry, right costume is falling thing well that's uh, people in the chat are sort of betting on how long it's going to take for the costume <laughs> to disappear. there's just like the the graphic from the cover of the of mm. the book at least the original edition of it yeah. Which is like, I guess, like Frazier and Niles hanging out with like Frankenstein and all these other mo- monster <laughs> guys. Uh, <laughs> um, the, dog, you, the dog in that one rules. I love the dog on that cover. So yeah, much. he's kind of he's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but you get if you look in the background and you see many of the, you know, the sort of rogues gallery of guys. I mean, the only real giveaway sign that you're looking at a bunch of like monster people is that literally Frankenstein's monster is standing back there with them. And the rest of them just kind of look a little bit sinister. But it <laughs> <laughs> in the uh, dedication of the book, he credits a bunch of people. Mary Shelley, Edgar Allan Poe, Bram Stoker, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, H.P. Lovecraft, Ray Bradbury, Robert Block, Al- Albert Payson, Ter- Terhune. Uh, and the makers of a lot of old movies. That's not me paraphrasing. That's what he said. <laughs> um, so yeah, you got a lot of other characters appearing in this in this book as like key players. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that was one of the things 
that sounded intriguing when you found this as an option for our bonus. Yeah, it was well, it was like the is the this is a story from the dog's perspective, which cool, okay, fine. Yep. And also monsters. Monsters. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't the whole the monster mash, you know? We've read a lot of Spooktober books this month that have not had maybe like an overt monster in them or where the overt monster has been like man, which is like yeah. fine, I guess. <laughs> but he's the most dangerous game. It's but, true. You know, I good we, to get Cram, some we get, we get our monster quota in right here at the end. I think. Sure. The last thing I want to share about Zelazny's uh, biography or, or oeuvre rather is that, okay, so this was his last novel. Yes. His last known work while he was alive was a video game called Chrono Master, <laughs> which was an adventure game from the mid-90s. An adventure game by Dreamforge, Dreamforge Interactive from 1995. It looks like what you think it looks like, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Like the full-on, just bizarre 3D, like models that are all flat mm-hmm. and they it just oh i love it so much that era of video games is so busted it's so fun the actors who are in it i think you will enjoy one of them the main characters ron perlman we love ron perlman right oh, huh. he's got a lot of character right yeah from star trek nemesis also brent spiner oh from also Provi- from star trek nemesis <laughs> <laughs> provided voices mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's just kind of neat that he was like, what if video games? I, I saw some other, I think it was the Martin in memoriam that said like in the last year of his life, he discovered role-playing games. Like he just seemed like a guy who was pretty curious and interested in, uh, you know, just learning about the world and then like turning it into stuff that people could enjoy. So sure. Um, do you want to talk about the book now? Yeah, let's talk about the book, baby. Okay. Um, um, what what do you, so okay what what did you pick up from your research what do you want what do you want you want to talk about okay so it is my understanding mm-hmm. uh, that the book is told from the perspective of a dog so we got to yes. talk about that snuff the dog snuff the dog okay we got to talk about um, all of the famous quote unquote or infamous monsters and characters that are in the book and like what the I think what is what I've read is that like the dog's perspective means we don't always get like a straightforward understanding of who those characters are and that's like part of the fun of the book. Yeah, it's everybody has kind of a pseudonym pretty much. So let me okay. I, I guess I'll just go through some Yeah, of give the me the roster, the dramatist personae. Uh so we've got all right. So we got our our main dog is Snuff and he is kind of a People in this book have like these animal familiar type things that are smarter than regular animals. And each like you, each pair of person and animal kind of acts as a as a unit. And they are all players in this thing that they all call the game. The game. And you I lost get, it. You do not get a. Yeah, you just lost the game. Everybody listening. Also, you just lost the game. <laughs> um, they not until the very end. Does anybody just lay out exactly in like plain language what the game is, like what is happening? Sure. So you pick up a lot of things from context clues, like as you go, or you just kind of have to like read and un- like come to a deeper understanding of concepts as they're repeated over and over again by different okay. characters. Um, but the I will I will explain it kind of up front for everybody on the on October 31st, when there is also a full moon, which happens every few decades. I'm not a moonologist, so I don't know like exactly <laughs> how often it happens. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, there is this gathering of people and familiars. Some people are called openers. Some people are called closers. Whoa. And... Some of them are trying to. All right, let me hear. I'm going to read the passage from the book. He proceeded to tell me the story of how a number of the proper people are attracted to the proper place in the proper year on a night in the lonesome October. That's the name of the book in the book. Hey, hey. Boom, boom, boom. when the moon shines full on Halloween and the way may be opened for the return of the elder gods to earth and how of 
and of how some of these people would assist in the opening of the way for them while others would strive to keep the way closed. For ages, the closers have won, often just barely, and there were stories of a shadowy man, half mad, half killer, or half mad, a killer, a wanderer, and his dog who always showed up to attempt the closing. Uh, so this is, we'll, we'll talk about all the animal characters. There's sure, cool animals. sure. Um, that's basically the deal is that all these, all these weirdos and their super smart magic animals have shown up to a place. In this case, it's London in like Sherlock Holmes times, basically. (laughs) Yeah. That's just, it's kind of a nondescript 50 years ish of a Mm -hmm. man wearing a hat and smoking a pipe. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't call it like 19th century ish England. Yeah. 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 Before the Fendi Ecla. Yeah. They've all shown up to, like, throughout the month of October, everybody kind of prepares. There's this whole, there's this whole, we'll talk about what people do the entire rest of the month of October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When they, like, leading up to the 31st. Because the book is structured as, like, an introduction and then one chapter per every day in the month oh, of October. Oh, neat. Okay. Um, so, yeah. I heard very, that in very, very specific sections. I didn't know that that's what it was doing. All right, cool. Yeah, that's what it's doing. Um. And they they have this like mortal struggle where elder gods try to come back and destroy the earth, but they've never managed to do it yet. But you know what? Everybody's gonna try. Every every time they have an opportunity, they have to get together and try to do this thing. Oh boy. Um and the like the interesting thing about it is that do you remember those Looney Tunes? And I don't remember it's like something and Sam, it's like the sheep the oh, sheep yeah. dog and the wolf and they do like sheepdog and wolf things and then they are just working nine to five. So they clock out and they're like, all right, see you later. And they are not like, they're not off the clock enemies. Ralph, Ralph Wolf and Sam Sheepdog. Yes. There you go. And Ralph Wolf is really just a wily coyote. Like, I don't know. Last time you looked at Ralph Wolf. I mean, how many, how many cartoon characters can you really invent? Before you just start making <laughs> the same ones over again, it's just it's just weird because the wily e. coyote would never clock out. Like he's always on the clock. You know what I mean? He's always on the clock, but he's so inept that you gotta like. I don't know. It just feels. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for his they, own there's health, there's gotta he be an element of them just having fun, like hanging out with each other, right? Because there's like. One of them, if they really wanted to, I think could decisively end the conflict if they wanted to. Probably. Meep meep, in fact. But yes, Sam Sheepdog, Ralph Wolf. I get so the people who are meeting every, you know, twenty years with the moon October, they don't actually hate each other or fight each other. This well, is it's, like it's, it's part of the game. It's not always the same people. Like oh. Jack and Snuff are there all the time, but part of the part of the intrigue is like figuring out who is a player in the game and who is not. And sometimes there are people who seem like they're just regular who end up being players in the game. Sometimes there are people who are clearly like monster movie weirdos who are not players in the game for some reason. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Every pair of, of people, you know, every pair of people in animal have, like person and animal has like a, a person who does calculations. And so what you do in the month leading up to this big confrontation is you figure out where all the players in the game are living. And then you do, you do, you run the numbers, you crunch them out and based on where everybody is and how many players there are and like who they are, you figure out exactly where the confrontation is going to take place. Like where the, where the gate, is going to be so that one group can try to open it and one group can try to close it. You do hear of one, one time where nobody could figure out where the gate was. And so on the, on October 31st, they all just like had a nice dinner together and then dispersed, (laughs) (laughs) which is cool. So it's like a really, really advanced, like murder mystery dinner party. It sounds like. Like a, like a long scale, a little warp. bit, yeah, and like and and it's not always that cordial. Like there are definitely some, uh, some years, and and this is this year that is depicted in the book is one of them. There are some years where people die beforehand, but it's not a thing where all the openers are trying to like kill all the closers or vice versa. There there is a, you know there. 
there's a civilized element to it where they're like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to one of one group of us is trying to destroy the earth and remake it in the image of the elder gods. And one group of us doesn't want that to happen, but we, we're, we could still be like civil to each other, you know? Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> how, have you, how can you just like zoom back a little bit? Okay. You, you said you were going to kind of explain this up front to us. So like, how did you, the reader, get this information is it really piecemeal throughout the book it's piecemeal throughout the book let me let me just this is the introduction okay, this okay. Is, so everything you snuff is the only character whose perspective you inhabit for the love entire it book yeah i'm a watchdog my name is snuff i live with my master jack outside of london now i like soho very much at night with its smelly fogs and dark streets it is silent then and we go for long walks Jack is under a curse from long ago and must do much of his work at night to keep worse things from happening. I keep watch while he is about it. If someone comes, I howl. We are the keepers of several curses and our work is very important. I have to keep watch on the thing in the circle, the thing in the wardrobe, and the thing in the steamer trunk, not to mention the things in the mirror. When they try to get out, I raise particular hell with them. They are afraid of me. I do not know what I would do if they all tried to get out at the same time. It's good exercise, though, and I snarl a lot. I fetch things for Jack on occasion, his wand, his big knife, With the old writing on the sides, I always know just when he needs them because it's my job to watch and to know. I like being a watchdog better than what I was before he summoned me and gave me this job. So there there are a couple things in there that if you know that Jack is Jack the Ripper, you're like, oh, this guy has a big knife. Oh, this guy (laughs) has to do some bad things to keep worse things from happening. Okay. Um, Like you but you don't put that together right away and that's kind of the way that you're introduced to everybody sure sure um so here are a few of the characters and kind of the pseudonyms that the book uses for them yep right and you just kind of figure things out as you encounter them and as you spend more time with them uh so there's jack the ripper obviously yeah Uh, there is dracula the vampire who is referred to as the count great uh, there is the Wolfman, who his, you know him only as Larry Talbot, which is the name of the man who was the Wolfman in the Wolfman movie. Oh, the okay. One that was played by Lon Chaney. <laughs> okay. Um, there is uh, the Good Doctor, who is Victor Frankenstein. Sure. Uh, the Good Doctor has an Experiment Man who <laughs> lives with him. Experiment Man. An Experiment Man, which oh, sounds man. like a you know those like fake th- those unlicensed Halloween costumes that you get from the spirit Halloween (laughs) store. They're like burger wife or like fairy kid or whatever. And (laughs) that like anime hero. And it's clearly Goku. Yes. Experiment man is the, is the The Frankenstein. That's very good. Pod safe Frankenstein that they came up with. Uh, The great detective and his companion, which is Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Sure. Yeah. And then somebody in the chat, um, clock this on the book cover there is a just like a mad monk character named rostov who is modeled on rasputin oh and then you got you got a few others like there are some that are just like archetypes like you have just like a witch and a clergyman and a a clergyman clergy a clergyman clergyman i mean it's a spooky book it could be a clergyman it could be a clergyman (laughs) (laughs) of the the westchester clergyman you got some grave robbers yeah um and they're all you know not all of them are you know, some specific classic monster or character in a monster book. But sure. Are, okay. You know, either an archetype or they could refer to a couple different people. Um, Is the experience of reading the book like they're introduced, you know, kind of one by one by snuff and then you, the reader, are like, oh, that's Dracula. Oh, that's. Yeah, kind of. is yeah. yeah, so Snuff is going around trying to get information on everybody who's in the game so he can do his calculations so he can figure out where the gate is going to be. Okay. And so he, you know, it's he makes friends with some of the other animals. He just, like, trades information with some of the other animals. His his best friend ends up being Greymalk, who is a cat. Oh, yeah, Greymalk, a reference to Greymalkin. Right, yes, sure, yes. Yeah. to the Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also Nightwing, who's an owl. Quick Lime, who is a snake. Cheater, who's a squirrel. Cheater, and it's not spelled cheater like oh you cheated on that test. It's spelled cheater like if you were like a redneck talking about cheetahs. <laughs> Here's a cheater. The cheaters run fast. You know you're a cheater when you know you're a cheater. <laughs> 
Uh, there's Tekla, who is an albino raven. There's Ooh. Needle, who is a bat. And there's Bubo, who is a rat. We're going to talk more about Bubo. Can't wait to hear about Bubo. Bubo, who seems to be named for you the mean, like, plague. Bubo? That his yeah, Bubo. People, yeah, those people carry. Uh, and so uh, Snuff goes around. He he meets all of these animals. Like he sometimes, like a lot of them trade information. But they, it's clear that nobody knows who is an opener and who is a closer. Like if if you give that information to somebody, you are like giving them a significant, sure, if not an advantage, at least like you know that that is a piece of information that's significant enough that you can use it as leverage to like get information out of somebody else. Like it's a lot of it is snuff trying to talk to other animals and, and be like, okay, what do you know? Can you tell me if this person's a player? Can you tell me where they live? Cause this is all information I need to make my calculations. This is great. This is like some sort of like reality show or like deduction, social deduction game. It's just among us mm-hmm. is what it is. Like it's among us. It's Among Us. Uh, yeah, this is fun. What a fun concept for a book. Yeah, it is fun. The like the. Did you find it fun as you were going? I found it fun as I was as I was going. I think Zelazny is good at he he has a couple of turns of phrase that oh that got me good. Love like one there's, of those. So there's this scene where Snuff briefly gets and let's let's bring it back. Let's let's. Spooktober always planned all the way through. We know this ahead of time. Snuff gets captured by some vivisectionists. Ah! <laughs> We're going to vivisect him. No! On the commands of one of the, the openers who really has taking a, t- taken a dislike to Snuff and to Jack. Um, and Snuff has been captured and he's trying to figure out, okay, like, I, I don't know what I can do to get out of this. Um. Yeah, he says, the most obvious plan was to fake lassitude when they came for me, then to spring to attack as soon as the cage door was open. I had a feeling, though, that I wasn't the first ever to think of such a ploy. And where were the others now? Still, I couldn't just lie there and contribute to medical understanding. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's good. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. Thanks. There's some good, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I, all the animals are fun. There's this bit where cheaters... Uh, the person who Cheater is attached to gets offed. Okay. And Cheater is like, it's it's a question for the animals, like when, they're, when their people go away or get killed, for them to decide, okay, now what do I do? Like, oh, do I stick around oh, wow. and try to participate in the game? Do I just like go off and do my own thing? Uh, like Quicklime, the snake is one of the ones that's just like, man, I'm just going to go underground and like eat some stuff. I don't want to be... <laughs> want to be involved in this anymore (laughs) and cheater is like okay i mean i'm not a flying squirrel i do but i can't fly because i've been given some magic powers by my guy but now he's dead and i don't really want to be in this anymore and so there's this fun little sequence where gray and snuff go with cheater into into cheaters like humans building and cheaters Shadow has been like nailed to a to like Whoa. a painting with silver nails, and they have to pry out the nails and like reattach Cheater's shadow because Cheater's like, yeah, I used to just like know where the good acorns were, and I knew when the ladies were around and when they wanted to hang out, <laughs> and there's just all this cool like instinctual stuff that I can still kind of work out. I can reason it out if I want to, but I used to just know it and. Huh. I don't want to be part of this game anymore. I just want to kind of go back to being a cool, carefree squirrel. So can you reattach me to my shadow so I can go back oh to being God. a normal squirrel? None of this stuff bubbled up in me reading about this book. This is so fun. Like, you didn't hear anything about Cheater? No, I, well, I honestly don't think I heard anything about the other animals. Like everyone, you know, people are excited about the the point of view and people are excited about all of the references to other characters. But this being a menagerie of kind of clever, inventive little animal characters did not come through at all. I think it's because the animals are not like, you know, this is not like the snake from the Bible or whatever. It's just like some (laughs) smart snake. (laughs) What if the snake from the Bible was there and then had another snake? (laughs) (laughs) It's like the animals are not so much like directly references to some 
other animal. It's also like most of them are like, there, there is a reason why I took every animal name and wrote out specifically what animal that they were, because sure. in the moment, sometimes you get them mixed up a little bit because usually it's just like snuff meeting them for a little bit and they chat and then they go their separate ways. Like the, the only one who is a major presence is gray and that's mostly most of what that relationship is between snuff and gray is just like he's she she's an opener i'm a closer she's a cat i'm a dog like this is an unlikely friendship <laughs> i love it okay. millions of people would watch our youtube video yeah they would we're such, a, they? We're such unlikely animal friends <laughs> um well andrew this might be a good spot for some uh, reviews by people using a website and they have a numerical value. Uh huh. What's the What's the website? Could you just tell me more? Um, it's called Goodreads, and every uh, these two people put three stars next to them. Ooh, okay. So these are three star Goodreads reviews. No. <laughs> so the first one is from Mike parentheses the Paladin. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Mike, the paladin, excuse me, um, who said, I enjoyed all the sly usage and references back to some of the characters that many or possibly most of us recognized, though they found Jack to be a bit creepy. Um, thought the introduction to the book says a lot. Zelazny was having some fun when he wrote this and maybe saying thanks to some of his influences and things he liked in the same book. Okay, so Mike seemed to dig it, but just gave it three stars for whatever reason. Becky said, This was my second attempt at reading Zelazny, and although I enjoyed this one more than the last, I'm beginning to think that his style doesn't agree with me. The best way that I can think to describe it is that I feel like I'm seeing the events of the story out of the corner of my eye, that I can never quite get the full picture. Uh, Zelazny's style requires the reader having external knowledge in order to understand what's going on. I get a lot of the references because I have read many of the books into that and have at least a semi-passing knowledge of other types of lore, but I know that were I to have more knowledge, I would have enjoyed the story more. Did you feel that at all? Do you understand that tension at least? Becky with the bad takes. Oh, you think it's a bad take? No, I don't think it's a bad tweet. Bad tweet. (laughs) I don't think it's a I I know exactly what Becky is is talking about. My thought my question was what was this a result of the dog being the POV where like the point of the book is that it isn't just and then Dracula walked in. Yeah, I think I think that is partly it. Is like, okay, so yes, like you there's stuff about Snuff's identity that I didn't fully appreciate and understand because in like a scene where Snuff and Jack are like fighting some monsters that have escaped from their prisons, uh, there's like some books that fall on the ground who are by specific authors. And I read this piece uh, from lovecraftzine.com. Yeah. Which talks about, Oh, because you know, these, these, uh, what is it? Uh, the dedication implies that Snuff owes inspiration to Chum, Buff, and other dogs in the stories of Albert Pace and Tarun. Uh, <laughs> or Tarun? Why don't you pronounce his name? I don't know. Chum and Buff? Yeah, Chum and Buff, the dogs. But in a late <laughs> chapter, several li- literally dropped clues reveal a more important inspiration for him. Uh, Snuff is saved from vivisectionists. Shortly thereafter, he and Jack are attacked at home. Sets of books by Dickens and Surtees and issues of Strand Magazine, wherein Sherlock Holmes first appeared, fall off the shelves. And Martin Farquhar Tupper lay atop Elizabeth Barrett Browning, their covers torn. Tupper and Barrett Browning uh, were Victorian-era poets and quite appropriate selections for Jack's bookshelves given the setting of this novel. Both were involved in protests against vivisection during that era. Tupper wrote four anti-vivisection sonnets. Browning was an animal supporter who wrote two influential poems about her dog, Flush, and Robert Browning, uh, Barrett Browning's husband wrote two anti-vivisection poems. So Lasney's timing is deliberate since the events followed the episode with the vivisectionists. Okay. And there's, there's some more stuff in there. But like, yeah, I don't understand every single reference that he's dropping. And sure, like, would I have, w- would there have been more instances of me pointing at the, at the page <laughs> of the book that I was reading and saying, I understand that reference. Like, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think en- like enough content, the, 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 Trickiest chapter for this is just when like snuff and gray like drop into this like dream portal and literally start 
like reliving sections of okay. the the Lovecraft uh the what's the what's the one I told you to uh Kadith the Kadith well yeah, that like is the dream from... quest of unknown Kadith or whatever it's yeah it's so that called, is where Kadith is where the oh god which ones are they the other gods the outer god the elder gods the ones that were on earth gods. yeah um they they retreated to their city or fortress of Kadith um and then also, I imagine we're going to talk about the dream cycle or some the dreamland. I mean, we we don't have to talk a ton about it. It's just like this sort of trippy sequence where you suddenly feel like you're in a Lovecraft novel, mm-hmm. and then you meet like this this dream cat, and he gives them each he gives Gray and and Snuff both like some hints about the the thing that's going to happen. Oh, okay. But yeah, I could get like reading through that section and being like, man, what is happening? Like, I don't tell me, just tell me more about the story of the book, please. And like, stop doing this. Yeah. Like, I I think you have to, if you're reading this book, you have to be there for the perspective. You have to be there for the, you know, funny stuff like experiment man or whatever. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I I think that is, Um, that is often what is appealing about a, an animal POV book is just like, what is this book's take on humanity? Mm -hmm. Right? Like how much do the animals understand about the human world? It's different when it's like a, an animal story where there are no humans Mm -hmm. or or whatever. Yeah. Not like that cat, like murder mystery book by that, like Islamophobe guy that we read that time. No, no, thank you. Um, but like you know, Rats of Nim or Charlotte's Web or um, you know, Airbud doesn't talk, so I guess Airbud doesn't count. But like, uh, Airbud always counts. Excuse Ain't me. no rule says that Airbud doesn't count. Like Black Beauty and White Fang, um, Babe a little bit, where like the animals have a distinct personality and perspective. They have an an understanding, but it's a limited one of what the humans are up to, mm-hmm. um, and like. There's like a fun dramatic irony where you, the human reader, are some are the author knows you have more information or different information than the animal has. Like that mm-hmm. is that seems to be why you would do something like this to have fun with. Sure. Um and, and in this book, the most explicit example of that sounds like, well, we know who Dracula is, and the dog's like, Well, that's a count. Yeah, that's or that's count. Experiment Man, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ex- you get to go. That's funny. Experiment. I'm going to chuck about that for a long time. That's very Experiment funny. Experiment Man is really good. You know, there there are a couple like Stephen King books that have like dog POVs. Obviously, Cujo, Gerald's Game, which I read way too young. Don't let your kids read Gerald's Game. Um, but like, isn't that the name of that old Pixar short where the old man plays chess against himself? I don't think it's Gerald's Game. I really hope it isn't, because Gerald's Game is a book with... It's it's Jerry's Game. <laughs> it's probably a reference, I guess. <laughs> um, but no, that dog is... is well, it's a wolf. I, I don't remember. Anyway, it's kind of... It's a lewd book. Um, but yeah, th- that's kind of the appeal of that. Anyway, you were... It didn't seem to bug you the way it did Becky, or at least you found other stuff to latch on to. Yeah, like the, the thing that bugged me is more like you spend the entire book building to the end of October. And then you have this confrontation where like one and, and we can talk about the like the one thing, the one weird trick that the closers use to like get there to to, to win. OK, the book is just kind of over. Like you, you don't <laughs> need. So it is very much about the journey more than the destination it's about enjoying snuff and the adventures of snuff and like piecing together all of this stuff as you read more than it is about i don't know like some kind of chaotic final because there is a chaotic final confrontation but it's only a few pages Mm -hmm. it basically hinges on like a single thing that happens and then it's over and the book is done. <laughs> okay. Which was the, that was the part that surprised me the most is just like how abruptly it ends with like the closers victorious. And then you go off because it, it's, it had spent so much time building up the relationship between gray and snuff. And even a little bit between Jack, the Ripper and crazy Jill, who is the, the witch. I suspect that our boy Zelazny, and this is the one 
area of the book where I really do not have to hand it to him. I think he named those characters. He named crazy Jill, crazy Jill, because the last line in the book is Jack and Jill went down the hill. Gray and I ran after. Yow. Which did like, in the words of snuff. Woof. Unfortunately, Zelazny is dead. And so I cannot like, Write him a letter like, asking for recompense because I threw my Kindle across the room when I read that. But grab like, him by the, you know, <laughs> coat. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Um, but yeah, it's it's, yeah, you were. He spent all the time building up, especially this unlikely animal friendship, and then you kind of want to know what happens. Yeah. Like, especially if you're like shipping the dog and the cat. You're like, <laughs> you know, you're you're like magic intelligent animals. Like maybe some kind of interspecies something. Can get can happen. Maybe. Can happen. I don't yeah. know who who's to say. <laughs> mm. But then, but it's just over after the conf- after the confrontation and the book is done. Like that that was the most frustrating part for me. It was not okay. not the impression that like there were amazing cool things happening off the off screen. Though sure. I'm I'm sure if you were if the book were following Jack instead of following Snuff, you would get a very different yeah picture of what was going can on. You- can you talk but. a little bit about Jack? There, there are plenty of people in the reviews that I did not share who like found it like you know what kind of you know maybe they were found it awkward or, or didn't love that like a, a humanized version of Jack the Ripper. Like, is that a thing you really get? Is that just it's, snuff? I really like, and I'm listen. I am not coming out in support of Jack the Ripper. Do not take me out of context. That's not something that's happening right now. But I, I will. Okay. I am saying, I do like the the idea of taking Jack the Ripper, this like horrible murderer Awful who was person, never yeah. caught, who we didn't, who you know, every everything we know about him, we've kind of pieced together from whatever clues he left or like, you know, scattered unreliable eyewitness accounts. Like we, we don't really don't know anything about this guy, but he still looms large in the, in the public imagination. I do like the, the concept of, of taking him and being like, okay, what if this guy who almost everybody would say is like totally unredeemable had some kind of reason why he was doing what he was doing. And also some kind of reason why he was never caught. Yeah, sure. Like what, okay. what if I could explain everything about what he was doing in a way that played into my story? And so, yeah, he is like he 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 needs you know some like bones and organs and stuff. Uh, for the, the month of October, every one of the players in the game is like grabbing materials that they think will like give them some kind of advantage. And there's even a scene, you know, a few days before the night when everybody's still acting pretty cordial to each other, where. You know, you're just like walking through the graveyard and you hear people being like, man, I need like a crushed vertebrae. I would like trade you for some like like a liver. <laughs> it's, it's people just like swapping Pokemon cards in the mm-hmm. in the park, but with like all kinds of like viscera and body parts and stuff, because everybody is. Yeah, very much doing the Ralph and Sam like. These are these are high stakes, but there are rules and we are, you know, we, we don't have to be yeah. awful to each other, even as we try to you know rend the world asunder or whatever yeah okay that's mm-hmm. that's interesting what did you think uh, about the cthulhu parts of it there weren't a lot of cthulhu parts of it honestly oh you know, okay. there's no like you see some tentacles kind of trying to come through a door at the end that's how you know that's how you know it's cthulhu is in there and then you get a lot of words with just like too many words and like yeah yeah it's like a lot of guttural sounds and vowels yeah, and that's how you know you're dealing with Lovecraft. But yeah, there's no, there's no scene where Cthulhu is there, or Lovecraft, and he's, and he's called and he's called like Angry Squid or whatever. And that's <laughs> <laughs> I like that though. I mean, that would be a good, it would be a good like iPhone game, Angry Squids. But that's oh man, but that's you you alluded to this like that's what the big like macro level game is it's like yeah that's what the game is yeah it's okay. the elder gods are trying to get out okay and some people don't want them to okay i wasn't sure you you know you asked me to to just like make sure i knew my cthulhu it was when i asked you to do that i was right in the middle of the one <laughs> chapter where they were doing the like unknown kadith thing okay. And cool. then we got out of it. And it was like, it's it's helpful to know that Lovecraft is what we're, you know, what, what the, the backdrop. But sure. You don't need to know a lot about Lovecraft, I don't think, to to 
Well, because I have these play. notes here, let me just tell you. Okay, I mean, you could tell me stuff if you want, Mr. Well, ghost, Mr. Mo- Philly's Ghost. Woo! Mostly just that the... I wasn't sure what this book was doing with the, like, cosmology or the canon. Um, and there is this, like... I think as you and I sit here today in 2023, uh, you know, 100 At years... At the end of Spooktober. The end of... T- the end of history um well 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 (laughs) (laughs) um that like 100 years hence from from what lovecraft was doing that like it feels like there was some sort of canon right that like it fits into this mythology and there's this mythos and that is just really not what that dude was up to he -hmm. was like writing a bunch of stories that had weird old space gods because he really mostly liked writing stories Without the, you know, when they weren't very explicitly racist and, you know, bigoted or whatever, it was about, like, guy climbs a mountain to go see a god and then loses his mind and we never hear from him again. Because, yeah. you know, to... Well, if you're, to, talking, if you're talking specifically about Unknown Cadeth, like, this was not published while he was alive. Like, somebody yeah. did this after he was... It was not... He did not... Maybe he didn't even want this to come out. Like some of his some of his works that I've liked the most are ones that he kind of hated and were published posthumously. So like. mine, I wrote down that basically his vibe sounds like that he just wanted to write stories where guys see like a cosmic whale butt and go insane. Stop trying to make it all make sense. Like stop trying to make it yeah have a reason for everything. Yeah, and if somebody and if somebody looks into something that's stygian at some point, then yeah. you know you've done your you've done your job. But there's this guy, August Durlith, which sounds like a character from a Lovecraft story, mm-hmm. who apparently after Lovecraft's death, like did a lot of public, like posthumous publishing and other writing that led to the creation of this mythos as like a thing, as like a canon. Uh, and then in the 80s, other authors are kind of playing around in that space. And then somebody makes the Call of Cthulhu like role playing, like tabletop stuff. And then you, at, by that point, you need source books. Like you need encyclopedias. We didn't have uh, Wikipedias, the encyclopedias that anybody could edit back then. So you needed like tabletop RPGs to collate all of your information mm-hmm. for you. And that's when like, some of this stuff starts getting treated as a coherent universe to riff on when, you know, 80 years prior, it was just like, I don't know. I just wanted to write the one where there were fish people. And what if there was a squid guy under the earth? Um, (laughs) That's the original squid game. (laughs) Jesus. Bronwyn says, uh, ghost of Lovecraft is all like, no, no about us, like trashing him and talking about his posthumous work. Well, I think he's probably also like, no, no, don't turn my stuff into a coherent mythos. <laughs> it reminded me of, and I did like a deep dive. There's like a Nerdist article you can find about it called How the Star Wars RPG Influenced Star Wars Canon. Do you mm-hmm. know this, Andrew? I don't. Did you ever this, play that this, RPG? No, I, I never played the RPG. It just makes me think about how Morpheus in the Matrix was canonically k- killed in the Matrix Online, Online yeah. MMO. <laughs> and they had to account anyway, for go, it in the new ahead. movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, after Return of the Jedi, like Star Wars just died. Like There wasn't anything. And it, it's yeah. only a few years, but when you think about what Star Wars is now and like how just omnipresent some of that media is, it's kind of yeah. weird to think about. Mm-hmm. And so... In the late 80s, this company that had made, called West End Games, that had made a Ghostbusters RPG, adapted it to the Star Wars, to like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so then, in the and it becomes popular. And then LucasArts is like, well, we're not LucasArts, that's the game company. But George Lucas is like, what if we made more books? And Timothy Zahn is like, well, if I'm going to write more books, I need to have some sort of setting Bible. Like, I need to know where any of this is taking place. And the only thing that existed was this RPG game and all the books that went with it. So all this stuff that starts filtering into the early 90s canon of Star Wars is because there was a popular tabletop game, which then led to these books, which then led to a bunch of computer games in the 90s. And so before you get to the prequels, everything that is like canon in Star Wars now of like the post-Return of the Jedi world... Mm-hmm. comes out of just a random 
RPG, which that is kind of fun. That's I, great. I think, and and it's it it's that magical late eighties nineties era before the like transmedia experience, before the like before cor- the marvelization of everything. Yeah, before the corporations just like vertically integrated every art form, where just like somebody having a, a successful thing would creatively inspire another thing, and isn't that really the best way? That's what I say. That's my little so I can get I'm a ghost I can get off my little ghost soapbox now. Beth Beth in the chat. This feels very on brand for George. I didn't plan ahead to avoid the mild incest, Lucas. <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> so Listen, like oh, they just kissed that one time. That one time. And they didn't um, even know and they probably stopped kissing after they found out that they were brother and sister. <laughs> Um, it's a good it's a good tabletop RPG. It predates uh, the D twenty system. It's a D six system. If I remember, D6, well, I guess D six is kind of the only D that you had D six and then you had D two, which is a coin. It's just a coin, and those are the only kinds of Ds that there were yeah. back then. It was like if you were good at something, you would get to roll extra D six. Like right, that's mm-hmm. kind of how the system worked. It was kind of fun. Um, I ran a game where we fought a third Death Star once. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you played the, the so you were the inspiration for Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah, it was J.J. Abrams called me and said I found your source book. Mm-hmm. Do you, can I make it into a movie? And I said, Yeah, that's fine. Just don't make any more. And then he uh, actually, yeah, and actually, could you make the Death Star like even bigger, like a death, <laughs> like a Death Planet? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, this sounds like it was a fun book. I li- yeah, I like this book a lot. It was not. I feel like. It lacks a like an a super super strong hook, but yeah, it's mm. just like a little quiet fun book that I that I enjoyed, and that's right. that's a good kind of read for me. That's not a bad read. One overdue, yeah, yeah. Um, as we wrap up Spooktober here, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Um, I do want to share. I did reach out Andrew to the uh, sister of a mutual friend of ours who has background in animal research because i was talking i was thinking about dr moreau a lot okay animal Um, husbandry if we're defining this in tabletop (laughs) rpg terms (laughs) yes um and just for anybody we you know we got some good responses to both of the dr moreau episodes uh, and i didn't have this in time for those but i was just like asking somebody who had done a bunch of animal research just like what what dr moreau sounded like to them Mm -hmm. Uh, and she was like i've not read those books but they sound like what radical animal rights activists envision happening in research labs. <laughs> uh, which, yeah, you know... P- the people in PETA read Dr. Moreau and are like, this documentary is horrible. Fair. Um, and goes on to talk about like the different like things you're always asked to justify if you're going to do any sort of experimentation on animals these days. And that she feels very lucky to exist in a time where those standards are already in place because the era of you know, vivisectionists and anti-vivisectionists sounds like really awful. Um, But that her own research took her away from doing, you know, live animal research because it was really hard and hard to do emotionally. uh, And just that generally people in the field try to have an attitude of gratitude, Uh, an attitude of gratitude. That's the thing I just coined in real Mm -hmm. time um, for like what animals give us through that research. So just... I don't know. That was kind of neat. I know people were kind of, you know, intrigued by both those episodes if they hadn't heard about the Garcia, the Marina Garcia book. Um, they should go check it out. Real time fact check. Uh, Carolyn correctly informs us that it is animal handling is the name of the D and D skill. Oh, you're animal, right. Animal husbandry, which is what I said. Huh. Okay. So well, I should know that. I am a I am a druid. You are a druid game. in Baldur's Gate three. Yeah. I just well, I wasn't really worried about animal handling. I was using my speak with animals spell to talk to a cow. So. You mostly change into animals, and you don't. That is also them. true. You don't handle them so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll handle them if they come after us. But um, Andrew, Andrew, thanks for telling me about this book. You're I welcome. I said your name a spooky way. The you first said it time. a spooky weird way, and I have an attitude of gratitude about you informing <laughs> me of, of why you did that. I coined attitude of gratitude. I'm Send sure us- I, it's you can't possibly have coined that. Like that's got to be some like Christian bookstore magnet. Like, <laughs> come on. Uh, 
Anyway, thanks everybody for tuning in. We have an attitude of gratitude towards you. Send us an email, overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media at overduepod if you have thoughts about uh, which evil character should have a cool dog. We'd love to hear them. Thanks to Nick Larandis, who composed our theme music. Thanks to our Patreon supporters for making this stream possible. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have the books that we have read and the ones we are going to read. Our November episode will be up shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, Or it is up already, depending on when you're hearing this. Yeah. Uh, and also the people in the chat know already, but the people who aren't in the chat, patreon.com slash overdue pod, come join us for these bonus recordings. The chat's fun. I think we've had rowdier bonus episodes, but everybody seems to be just like enjoying us speaking in the background as they do whatever it is that they're doing with their lives, yeah. which is nice. I enjoy being the, like the background noise for some like benign background noise for somebody is pretty cool i think like that's a cool thing that that's a service we provide to people that is what many of my favorite podcasts provide i'm happy yeah. to be that podcast for somebody else yes uh, i think that's the thing that's the thing anything else boo <laughs> okay because i'm a well, ghost i'm you know unlike the phillies we'll be back next week <laughs> and, <Dang it. laughs> and until we talk to you then please try to be happy <laughs> That was a HeadGum Podcast.